You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 27. Rob Nelson began his career as a marine scientist. He earned a bachelor's degree in marine science from the University of Miami. He also spent a year studying in Australia at James Cook University in 1999, where he met fellow producer and co-host Jonah Stenstrom. He later got a master's degree at the University of Hawaii, where he studied the behavioral and population ecology of the Hawaiian shrimp goby and how they interact with predators like hammerhead sharks. Rob's time in Hawaii was spent doing research and making films of both his and his colleagues' findings. Since he enjoyed science and filmmaking, he decided to mold both passions together and got accepted to do a master's in science filmmaking at Montana State University's Science and Natural History Filmmaking Program. Rob is not only a biologist, but also an Emmy Award-winning science communicator, who currently acts as a director for the nonprofit Untamed Science. He is the lead creative director and producer for the video content developed through the U.S. branch of the company. He also writes and coordinates much of the content for the website. Rob's real passion lies in educating people about the natural world and helping people tell their own stories about it. These passions have led him to take untamed science into classrooms via Pearson's publishing, reaching nearly 6 million students a year, on YouTube via their science channel and via science filmmaking tutorials. Rob debuted his TV hosting career on Animal Planet's hit show, Life After Chernobyl. From there, he hosted two seasons of the science channel's Secrets of the Underground and Discovery Channel's Man-Eating Python of Sulawesi. He was also an on-camera expert for the series What on Earth, Strange Evidence, the Nat Geo Wild Show World's Weirdest, and National Geographic's Animals Gone Wild. Rob also co-hosted D-News with Julia Wilde. As director host, Rob received an Emmy for his work on Mysteries of the Driftless in 2014, and the sequel Decoding the Driftless, which won Best Picture at the Los Angeles Film Festival in 2019. Hey Rob, hey, thanks for taking the time out to be on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Um, fantastic. I, I am um, uh, surviving COVID. Well, that's good. I have that's two kids. Good. And so today is my one day off. Well, two days, Thursday and Friday. I don't have the kids. They've only been in school for five days now since March. So I made it. Wow. So have they now have they just gone back to school? Yeah. So they went back to school a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving and they're only in school Thursday, Friday. Wow. Okay. So, all right. Well, we better not take up too much of your time because I know you're a busy man. <laughs> well, this is my free day. I, right, I do, okay. just like you, uh, I quite enjoy talking to other filmmakers and asking them what issues they're dealing with and how they're dealing with things. Because one, it makes me feel a little better yep. because it's difficult sitting here in my studio feeling like I'm screwing things up constantly. Right. Um, and two, just to feel a little bit of community. So I'm happy to chat about anything you want fantastic this will be fun fantastic well 
I always start off by kind of getting right to the beginning of things. And so, mm-hmm. and everyone has a different story about how they kind of got into the, the filmmaking industry. This is specifically wildlife filmmaking. I know you're not specific to wildlife. You do a lot of science stuff and a lot of wildlife as well. So um, really filmmaking as a whole, what was it that led you, um, to, you know, what was the start of your journey that got you into filmmaking? So I think for me, uh, I can trace it back quite a bit further, maybe than a lot of people, because uh, I remember watching Jack Cousteau when I was a kid, and it is what drives me a little bit as a filmmaker now. As I'm thinking, maybe somebody will watch me when they're a kid and be like, "Oh, I want to do that." But I remember watching Jack Cousteau and thinking, "I want to study marine science." And this was I was a kid in North Texas, so it was a long ways from the ocean. And I essentially applied for school in Miami before I knew anything about marine science. But it was because of watching his shows. What I didn't realize is that it took me uh, all the way through my graduate degree to realize that Jack Cousteau wasn't really a marine scientist. He was actually a filmmaker and storyteller. And that's really what I was attracted to. And so um, partway through... Uh, going to school as a marine scientist, I, I saw a filmmaker give a, a, a presentation about the Great Barrier Reef. I was doing an exchange program there. And I went up to him and I was like, how do I do that? What you're doing looks really, really cool. And he said, you know what? <clears throat> I think the best advice I can give you is to get any camera you can and start telling stories and tell as many of them as you can. And so for, I saved up a bunch of money as a graduation present from college, uh, kind of all the money I was getting for, for graduation and bought, uh, the Sony VX 1000, which was kind of an intro camera for me. Did you might've had that one too? I don't know. Maybe you I didn't have that one, but something similar. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then, um, basically started telling a lot of stories while I was in grad school and just realized that I enjoyed that more than the actual scientific data. And I know there's a lot of people who have this similar path. They kind of started out as scientists and then kind of moved into the storytelling. And for me, it was just all I could ever think about was, was telling stories. And I think back even into high school, I was telling stories with video cameras. I was just writing scripts as James Bond or weird stuff as a kid, but I was always telling stories and it just seemed like I, I got addicted to the process which I think a lot of people are addicted to the um, the idea of being a wildlife filmmaker, but they don't like the process. And so I think it's worked for me that I just enjoyed all of the pieces that went into doing the filmmaking. And well, then, uh, then got a second master's degree at Montana State, so that helped. And now I'm here. Fantastic. Well, so, so a couple of things comes up there. One, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things is that people see those finished articles. They see a host on TV. They see this very mm. polished production. And of course, they don't see what goes into it and the pre-production mm. that takes well, sometimes longer than the production itself, most mm. of the time, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so of course, when people, it really weeds out who actually wants to to be in this industry and who doesn't once you start working in it and you realize hey it's not all about being on camera and you know stroking wildlife well yeah we you know we used to get interns well we get them occasionally but we have a lot of people write us and say we want to intern with you so we used to take them on quite often Uh, even for just a week or two weeks they'd come out and almost always what would happen is they'd say something some variation of this like oh well i 
I don't really want to do all of, you know, the post that you're doing or all the editing and then I don't want to do all of this. Really what I want to do is just be in the woods and shoot wildlife. <laughs> and I was just to look at these people. They all were like very similar as a stereotype. And it was like, good luck with that because right. that's not how it works. Sure. Nobody what? is going to pay you to sit in the woods. Right. You watch too many behind the scenes from BBC. Yes. Those are yeah, the very yeah, yeah. few people that can do it. Yeah. <laughs> And I think more and more of those are becoming more contrived now as well, because those behind the scenes have become such a big part of the show. They're making, they're putting more production value into those now, making it look even better than it, than the reality is. Right, right. So, so yeah. the other, yeah. so the other part I was going to say about that was that you spoke about how you realized that, you know, the filming side of things is really what you wanted to do. So how did that affect you doing your um, your master's and, you know, you, you're in college working away at this stuff. Did it affect your studies? I mean, did you get to a place where you're like, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to finish this. Or, or was that never a problem? Um, well, I'm pretty good at not procrastinating. So I always managed to find a way to finish the stuff that I needed to. But it just became... Um, well, I don't think for anybody finishing a master's degree, which is what I got in, in behavioral ecology is fun. <laughs> you know, it's work. So I finished that. But at the same time, what I was doing was finishing a documentary that I had self-funded to Mexico. And that it was an hour long doc, which may, similar, similar to some people who dive in and have no idea what they're doing. I had no idea what an hour long doc consists of. It took me a year to edit that thing. Right. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I, um, I just, all I could like it didn't feel like a job to me when I was working on filmmaking, e even it was if it was the editing or the animations or even thinking about pre-production, it never seemed like a job and it still really doesn't. The only thing I really don't like is the business side of things. <laughs> right. That which is, like yeah, which is, which is huge, of course. And that's one of the right. things that's so, so, um, largely overlooked when it comes to this industry when you're making shows pretty much off your own back i mean yeah let's get into to what you what you yeah. do so i mean as far as i'm aware you're running untamed science you're mm -hmm. running uh stone age man right and you're hosting so yep. these are all things you you're doing or have done so you've hosted right. you're running these two sites um you you've just written a book and we'll get to the book and right. uh, i should i should flash my book look oh my there, gosh there you got the is. book <laughs> look at that i didn't get the signed oh. one though if i could just open it up no. and you could just you know what yeah, be... i'll send you i'll send you a signed one <laughs> no there no, no that's all right it's all right we'll be we'll, we'll go go through here because i've got some fun reading i've been doing with my kids okay. with this um so, so tell me what, what is, and we know now the business side is not your favorite part. What is your favorite part? Are you, what do you enjoy most? I mean, you are someone who's, I mean, you've hosted as a host for TV networks. You mm -hmm. host all of your own shows that you're making from Tame Science and Stone Age mm -hmm, Man. Pretty much. But you're, yeah. you're doing camera work as well. You're producing. Uh -huh. If you picked one of those areas, what would you say is, is your favorite part of filmmaking? Um... I like telling stories about things I find interesting and I find ways to make it work. And I like to tell my own story. So that's why YouTube is a fantastic outlet for me because it allows me to not only be on camera and tell it because I get something out of that. You know, I feel like an educator at heart. Um, but it allows me to also do some of the other things like edit it and produce it and write it and 
you know, all those pieces. And I, the reason I say that is because I've done TV, I have a perspective. Um, I, I don't think that's a great end goal for me because in TV and you, you may feel have felt this from your stuff. I don't know. I feel like I'm sometimes just a pawn in somebody else's game. Yeah. And it's not my story. It's not even the way I would tell the story. Yeah. And then sometimes I have no control in how it's put together in the end, yet I'm the one that's on camera. So that can feel bad. So I don't like to say I'm just, I don't like just being a host. That's not even my goal. I like sure. to tell the stories. And and because of my biology background, I can't shake the fact that like I want to teach the biology of it. You know, so I don't like the idea of just being a hired camera guy. Yeah. But I love the camera work. So I'm kind of trying to find the balance in all of those and not let go any of them, but I would let go of the business side. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Someone, someone watching out there wants yeah. to take over the business side right. and just sell it. That's great. You just need an administration department. That's, <laughs> Which great. I used to have, you know, um, and right. that was really handy. But um, yeah, we can talk more about, I can talk sure. more about how things have well, gone over the years. But, you know, I find this, uh, and I've, I've heard you talk about this, I think maybe on other podcasts, um, mm. about that side of the hosting and being a pawn. And I, I completely mm. understand that because... Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I think, again, when we look at finished shows, what we see is a host, and we think that person is the show, right? They're hosting the show, and they are the show. Um, and the reality of it is that there's lots of different versions of that. There's the reality where you are a hired talent, and you come on and you say the words that you're given. There's the, the other types where you have some um, control of writing some script because you're considered an expert in your field. Um, then you have other hosts that are, you know, more involved and they have more of a creative control, but typically they're producing the show as well. They have more than, they're more than just the talent. And so I completely understand that. I mean, I, I came on uh, hosting as um, an expert on insects that's how I got started mm -hmm. and the more I did the more control and the more writing I ended up having and I really enjoyed that right. and that helped that me sense. see that I wanted to be behind the camera and have more control um, which is right. which is why I made that transition so right. so um, I think one of the other words that we should probably use with you is entrepreneur because I think what what happens mm -hmm. with this kind of style of business is that you have to be an entrepreneur to make anything work right you know mm -hmm. as you say the mm -hmm. business mm -hmm. side the, the bringing money in and, and, and so funding you know i think a lot of our listeners uh in the same boat of kind of they want to do something you know some of them might have aspirations to be a host a producer a director whatever it might be mm -hmm. but a lot of people just want to pick up a camera start filming and have a youtube channel and get something going and, and as you said earlier that's one of the best things you can do yes. um how yes. do you how do you really start off doing that and knowing that you, you need to earn a living. I mean, you have a family, you've got a wife and two children. Mm -hmm. You've got to earn a living and do what you love to do. So, so talk yeah. us through a little bit about how do you fund that and, and make it work? Well, I will admit that I probably got a little bit lucky. I think everybody that does this, there's some degree of luck involved. You know, you, you were able to host a show early on and um, certain people got relationships with different companies. Um, I was lucky in that I was able to develop my skills when I was uh, in grad school before I had a family um, in 
two different grad schools. And then right out of grad school, I started um, a podcast, video podcast that we called Eco Geeks, which was in 2007. Uh, it was one of the top 10 educational video podcasts. And so we were put on iTunes homepage and that helped us gain a lot of followers. And because of that, um, and the work that we, well, all of the work we were doing there, we submitted to the new media category for um, Jackson Hole and we won uh, that award and that allowed us to get some recognition. And because of that, Pearson Publishing saw what we were doing and hired us as their video people. So actually this textbook, which apparently 55% of kids use this textbook, we're in, um, oh, hey, look, there we are. Look at that. Look right to it. In every chapter, nice. we did the video at the front because they just saw what we were doing. And I tried to add humor to all of the science lessons that we were doing on the podcast. So that's why I always tell people, like, use YouTube as your platform. You use some, get it out there, and then somebody may stumble upon it. Or you can cold call and say, here's my resume. It's YouTube. Go check it out. So we got lucky, though, because for three years, we had roughly a half million dollar budget to make. We, we made almost 400 films with um, what, what wow. essentially was a million and a half dollars. So we had 12 people employed for four years throughout the course of that. And so it was, a, it was a lot of work, but that helped give me a lot of skills and a lot of um, ability to pay off loans from school debt. And so I'm free from that now, which is a big thing because nice. a lot of the people are stuck working, working um, more corporate type wildlife filmmaking jobs because of the, you can't, you can't be as free as I'm doing with the work that I'm doing, which <laughs> we can get into how all that works. But um, it is, it's basically investing in a lot of small baskets all spread out. Um, I feel like this isn't a great answer, but let me just explain. So I have the website, which is where I've been putting all of the stuff that I've ever done. And because I started it in 2008, almost 12 years ago now, over time, that's built up articles and we're starting to get backstream revenue from Untamed Science. People see that we have some credibility in the website, so now they fund us to do different things through the website. The YouTube channel is also gathering enough views, which has taken 10 years to do. And now people say, hey, they'll, they'll come to us, so I'm not having to cold call people. And then oftentimes what happens is I work with NGOs and people who don't have a ton of money. So I'll tell them I'll do it for half rate, but I own all the rights to put it on my YouTube channel, do all these things. So a lot of the stuff that you're seeing was kind of funded or I did a slight edit change to make it so that it was just mine. And then now that's paying off only just now, like, yeah, you know, so that's, it's how, it, that's how I make it work. Um, which is very different than some people. Like I'm, I'm on average, I will write, shoot, and edit a video in three days. Yeah, most of those which videos is, you see, super which fast, is super fast. Yeah, yeah, and it blows my mind. Some people who like, <laughs> like, uh, uh, well, uh, Neil and Dave are my like arch rivals. <laughs> <laughs> you know them well, yeah. but like they told me, well, now, now I have to make up different names. They told me their budget and it was like, it was like a hundred times the budget. Of my, right. My I was like, you're, it's the same length and it doesn't look that <laughs> different. I mean, sure. You shot it on a red, but mine looks almost just as good. 
Right. <laughs> well, and that's that's the incredible thing. No, but it's thing. so crazy. That, and that's the thing. Like I, But I spin things around so fast, and that's the only way I make it work, I think. Well, no, I mean, that's fantastic because you have a very specific style. You know, you're, in this day and age, it's not. it used to be that you needed to spend 100 grand on a camera to get anything looking good, right? I mean, back yeah. when, when I was hosting, beginning of the early 2000s, you know, we were filming on an F900. That's a, mm -hmm. an $80,000 body, you know, and 20 grand for a lens. That's what the production company was using. Yeah. Um, now, of course, you can spend six grand and have a camera that films as good, if not better, than those cameras. So, um, so we're in a different world. Um, you know, it's accessible to everyone, so that's certainly not the 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 the, the you know the bottleneck anymore. No, it's time. I think. Right. Don't you think? It's just like Absolutely. how long are you going to spend on it? Are you going to spend a month on pre-production, or are you going to look on Wikipedia <laughs> and three hours later you're going to shoot it? That's right. What I'm doing. No, Which that's right. And I because I would rather do it a different way, but um, somehow I stumbled into this arena where. It, the game is how fast can you produce it and be just a little bit better than the next person. Yeah, no, that's that's great that's because, it, as you say, it is time. And what's happening is when you build that library up, as you say, it's starting to pay off or it has been paying off. Mm -hmm. It takes mm -hmm. time to build that. And I think that's so, so important because I think so many people listening, it's like the entrepreneurial world where people just see success online now. It's just success, success, success. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, everyone thinks that success comes overnight. And of course, we as filmmakers, you know, I've been in the industry 20 years. And although I have had success in certain ways, I don't feel like I'm even scratching the surface yet, you know, of, of um, you know, my career and, and, and the potential. And I think we all feel that it doesn't matter where we are, because we all aspire to do more and more. So I think that's super interesting. It, so so I, I think a little graph. Oh, I perfect. Graph. I, I like so the drawings. This was me in grad school yep. thinking, am I ever going to make it so that I'll be at the threshold where I can make a living with this? And then I got the Pearson contract. Yeah. And then I, I we lost Pearson because of the, you know, the turn in the economy. And yep. then I got depressed right there. Uh, and then I got a hosting job for Science Channel. Yeah. And then for some reason, they decided... We want to go with celebrity hosts, and I was back right. And now I'm now I like the curve better because it's a slow yeah. thing, and I actually think I might be able to make it work now. And so, but yeah, it's it's important to Rob. Before you I go, don't on, trust any. Okay, go ahead. Well, sorry, I was just going to say. Let me just explain what you just showed because, of course, some people are just listening to this. So, oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, so what Rob was just showing me on. So on YouTube, you can see this video for this podcast. Um, but basically, Rob was just showing me a um a peak and trough chart, and the peaks and the troughs. The peaks were the highs, and the troughs were the lows. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so carry on. Sorry. Well, you know, it's um, I think it's deceiving people who are getting into the business at the beginning to make them think that it's always going to be an upward battle or mm -hmm. that it's always going to be an upward slope because event, a lot of people, they're doing well. And then all of a sudden they're like, why am I not doing well anymore? Um, why? Why can't I? get contracts to do any more gigs and right. so much of it is luck and it people don't realize that mm -hmm. and i always tell people you got to be you there are, there will be waves that come that you can ride and you want to ride it as far as you can 
but you have to be prepared when that wave comes. That's kind of yeah. a good way of explaining it as an analogy. And so far I've had a couple waves, uh, which have been nice. And I'm just trying to now make sure I have a sustained trajectory in front of me. Cause I think it's really hard to do this and have a family. And that's what, you know, yeah. I well, see I so many people drop out. That, you know, it's, it's just like the famous Seneca quote that um, luck is basically preparedness and opportunity meeting creates mm. luck. And um, yeah, being prepared for that wave. Now, now you, you touched on a few things there that I want to talk about. First of all, let's go back. You, you said the trough, you, you, you had the high, you got the, uh, the contract and you worked on that stuff for four years. And then you mm -hmm. said you, you went into depression before you got your next peak. Tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about that. Cause I, I've, I know I saw, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I saw an um, Instagram post a few year, a couple of years ago, a few years mm -hmm. ago, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. was before you were t turning 40, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And so it, I, well, I'll preface this with saying I, I'm not sure I would ever be classified as somebody who had depression or deals sure. with it as like a, from a clinical perspective. Uh, I, I, I know people who deal with it and it's definitely difficult. Um, I think my, mine might be more like, situational and, and sadness really or like overworked burnout yeah um and just related to not being able to, to succeed in the career but either way i felt depressed <laughs> to myself for right. like was for like six months so it was a pretty good chunk of time yeah, um yeah. and um i didn't talk about it at first i made those posts a couple of years afterwards uh, so the first the first time i kind of felt it was in 2000 um, I think it was 15, uh, 2016. Uh, so I was 35, 36 at that point. And I just, I couldn't seem to get back to where we were when I had 12 employees and we were cranking out videos and we were like doing amazing stuff. And it was constantly at that point calling people cold calls, like, can we do this job or that job? And I was selling um my my wife Haley who's a biologist and actor got me into this acting age or this agency and so I was like going and selling uh air conditioners on camera you know it was like please buy this air conditioner this is cool and you'll love it and yeah. I just hated it because yeah. I was a biologist you know I wasn't like a yeah. model but that was what I had to do to make money and it was just it's soul sucking yeah but I I I um I now I think it's with Stone Age Man, so much of it is I want to help people with their mental health because I've been through it at least twice in pretty, mm -hmm. pretty big. Um, it felt really big to me. And I've seen uh, Jonas, who I, I do all of my films with, go through it as well. And I see almost every filmmaker who hasn't just hit a slam dunk every time go through it. And I want people to know that that's that's like the reality of life. Probably everybody's going through it except for the few people who either are lying or just are getting really lucky in some way um, because of client situation or, or something, but it's, it's quite a natural thing and finding ways to like deal with it is important and talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah being real about it. Well, and when, 
I think so many people probably face it in, you know, whatever time lengths they have it. But the difference is if you're working in a job being paid a salary and you go through that, then then nothing really changes from a day-to-day point of view other than you feeling sad or, or down or depressed or however you want to say it. You can mm-hmm. still pay the bills. The difference, I think, is when you're a filmmaker or entrepreneurial or, or someone who's having to bring in your own beans, you know, you're in a situation where everything can grind to a halt and that just puts a bigger, you know, slant on the whole thing. Well, and I think for me, one of the problems was you know, I don't pride myself in being the smartest guy in the room. Like, I think I can hold my own. Like, I did quite well in school. Um, or, uh, you know, uh, any other factor. I was always the hardest working. And so when I had kids, all of a sudden, I couldn't put in 16-hour days, which was fine. I was totally fine with that. But that was like two of me. <laughs> now, with two kids and, and trying to, like, make it work, I was probably only getting six hours of work in, you know, and that's all I could manage. And so then I was, I was combining that with seeing social posts, which is, I really feel like the downfall of people's mental health, (laughs) watching social Uh and feeling like, Oh crap, I now can't do it. And I'm seeing all these people mostly without kids being able to excel. And I was thinking maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe I don't really have a chance to make it work. And, reevaluating my trajectory was kind of what was going on yeah that's really interesting and and that, that you know family is a huge one for so many of us mm-hmm. um i have two kids i think our kids are very very similar ages um mm-hmm. two boys and um and it's the same for me i find you know i think i was speaking to nate about this um nate mm-hmm. dappen on on the podcast mm-hmm. he's got yeah. you know young children he's got two twins on the way yeah. and a young girl and you know 5 a.m 5 a.m is the new you know get up and do stuff time because that's the two hour one or two hours in the morning where you're uninterrupted and you know you know typically the phone's not going to ring you can just get on and that's how i work i get up and i have a ritual i do in the morning for myself and to get some work done um but everything changes because then yeah you know family is one of the most important things these these hearts behind me i think i mentioned this on other ones (laughs) they're my kids make little hearts and they put them in my clothes when i go Mm, on a trip really and they don't tell me so when i get there and i open my bags i start looking through and and things fall out of my socks and my underwear and and they're these little hearts and i I collect them and put them around and and Mm -hmm. it's so important but what's really hard is this fact that i'm a bit like you you know i i I used to work extremely long hours Mm -hmm. all the time i ran a wildlife park before i was a host Mm -hmm. you know and that that was that's what it took and now you know it it's there's the work but there's also and, and i don't want to call it work but there's the effort that you have to put in with your relationship and your family. And that's some of the yes. most important, and again, I don't want to, effort, I'll call it effort. It's some of the most important effort that I put into anything today is with my family. Because without that, you know, that that's what I, I aspire to do all this stuff to be with them. And mm-hmm. so how now, how, tell us a little bit about a working day for you. How are you making that work? As you say, you're working about 10 hours less a day <laughs> and pumping out videos left, right, and center. What, what, what's a typical day and uh, is there a typical day? Well, I can explain my typical week. Um, so <laughs> with the kids not being in school, 
um, it has been very challenging for Haley, my wife, uh, who do, who works on all this with me. So it's like you gotta make sure she's happy, and then everything will will be okay. Happy wife, so I have happy Thursday life. and fr- yeah, yeah. No, it's true, hundred <laughs> yep. um, uh, percent. Thursday and Friday, we drop the kids off for the bus at eight a.m. So we have from eight a.m. till four thirty on Thursday and Friday. Now where we are good to go. So my wife's outside right now with a friend of mine shooting a YouTube video on loofah and I'll be joining her in a second, which is fun. And then, um, uh, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we've decided that my wife is too, likes to follow the rules more than I do. And so she may not be listening. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this episode. Um, (laughs) I take the kids during the day and I do the virtual school. And it is exhausting. So I don't really have Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because they're constantly needing help with virtual school. So then I take Saturday and Sunday. Well, Saturday mostly, and then Sunday's family day. But I end I end every day at um, five five thirty uh, and do family time. But like you said, I have maybe two hours in the morning where if I wake up earlier, my wife gets them to school, which is here in the studio. And I can uh, drink my coffee and enjoy my morning. <laughs> but it's fr- it's frustrating because normally that would be productive. And now it's just getting through emails and yeah. things will get back to normal eventually. But I feel pretty lucky in the fact that um, I'm not struggling as much as other people are. I think in part because I've been making educational videos for so long. And now people are looking for educational videos because they're at home. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of a cur- upward curve for me. And I'm happy about that. But. I would be so screwed if not for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the, what, what I find, a few things, what I find, um, you know, really nice about that story is the fact that you are, one, you're taking the time out to educate your kids, as well as educating the general public with the, the video films you're making. But, you know, you, you're taking the time out to be with your kids and do that. And, of course, right in this year, this particular time, everyone has been struggling you know, with kids being at home and, and not being used to it. We homeschool our kids. So for us, it wasn't too much of a shock. Um, but at the same time, there, there are differences. So, you know, we can't take them to the places we would take them to do kind of field trips, if you like. But it's certainly just having kids changes everything, changes everything. And when you are someone who is building a business, building a, a life that is around your aspirations as a filmmaker and your dreams and trying to put it together in a way that works for you. It's mm-hmm. as hard as it gets. I mean, it is as hard as it gets. No, I, I really think so. It's um, my, my business partner, Jonas is in Sweden and I, I quite, I sometimes get jealous of the system they have there because I think as a society, they put in a lot of effort to helping new parents. You know, they, they do things like each kid gets $500. They, they give, they give the parents $500 per kid per month as like, here is an allowance to like, make sure your kids have diapers and food. Can you believe wow. that? It's incredible. No. Not only in that they get free healthcare, which is cool. Yeah. Cause I don't yeah. have healthcare right. and um, they get childcare free from 18 months. I'm yeah, done, it's, it's I'm done complaining because right. I finally got through that point, but it's yeah, yeah. hard. Yeah. It, it really it, is hard. 
Well, no. So you mentioned healthcare, and I think this is a perfect segue, right? And I think I saw oh, yeah. that on one of your things. This is a perfect segue. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I come. I you don't usually I, tell people they don't have health. No, I, no. You 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 mentioned uh, I think in a post on Instagram you mentioned oh. something about how the struggle of you know just having a job and having a, a doctor month to month, you know, and being in a place where those things are the norm. And of course, I come from Europe. I come from England, where we had free healthcare. Well, we yeah. still have it in England, but I'm not there. So, uh, and so now, you know, I'm at the last 14 years living with this mammoth bill every month oh God, yeah. to to afford pay uh, the healthcare. So, for someone like yourself, and I know you know you're we're, we're very similar. You know, skydiving, mm -hmm. scuba diving, lots of adventure stuff. Oh, you did those too. Nice. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. <laughs> I didn't look at all of it. And so, yeah, ton, ton of stuff, adventurous lifestyle to, to get to be in the places we want to be and do the things we want to do. Right. Yeah. How do you, you know, how does it change doing those things if you don't have healthcare? I mean, if you don't have healthcare and you can't walk into a doctor's surgery and be, be assured that you're going to get treatment, oh, you might get treatment, you're going to get treatment, but be assured that you're not going to get a $200,000 bill. Well, I tell you what happened. Um, at one of those troughs from the graph I drew, yeah, I I looked at my life and I just said, "How am I going to make this work?" And we had just had our second kid, and because he was born January eighth, not only did we meet our deductible one year, we had to meet the deductible the next year. I ended up paying twenty five grand over that year, roughly in healthcare yeah. costs, and I had insurance. Wow. So I was like, screw this. Yeah. Like, I'm going to not do this mm -hmm. and just take a gamble because everything that we had been paying for was would have been cheaper without insurance. It's so weird. Wow. It's so weird. Yeah. It, and I had I was doing it because I was trying to be responsible. And now I kind of have gotten lucky over the last four years in that nothing major has happened. Um but we just pay as it goes. And it's kind of weird. You, if you go into the doctor and you tell them you don't have insurance, they're like, oh, we'll cut you a deal. And so right. it's actually not so bad. We, we average about $100 a month in actual doctor's costs over the course of the year. But my parents wow. think I'm highly irresponsible. So I will not say it's without sure. cost. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, it, of course there's cost. You know, I was, I had a, a run in with an elk two years ago and oh, uh, I, I'm I more careful. That's what, right. let me put it that way. I'm not going to get in running with an elk. Sure. Sure. No, I had a run in with an elk and it, it hit me and I twisted around, snapped my leg and was three oh, and a half God. hours on the ground and helicopter in. At and, least it wasn't uh, a horn through the no, heart. That's right. That's right. Which of course, Beverly Joubert, she, um, Gosh, she almost had that. She had a. Did uh, she when she yeah. was at Jackson with an elk or with a? No, no, in no. Africa? In in Africa, yeah, it was a oh. water buffalo. I think that came through and, oh, and gorged her. So she talks about that in the in the podcast episode. So yeah, okay. Let's let's get away from that that nasty stuff. So yeah, that's that yeah. that's traumatic for sure. <laughs> okay, so um, so you have you have Patreon as well. So you have patrons that are paying for your work through Patreon, and they get um. For anyone who doesn't know Patreon, it's it's almost like a crowdfunding um, kind of platform, but people subscribe on say a monthly basis, and they get perks. Is that right? As well yeah, do as you have a of, do you have a Patreon? Say? I do not. No, you know, you I set one up a while you back. You did, but okay. Yeah, I set one up a while back, but um, I I never actually did anything with it, and um, and so yeah, uh, I'm yeah, very. I, 
I forget sometimes that people don't know what Patreon is, but mm -hmm. um, it's probably worth explaining a little bit more. It's a little bit like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, which people are familiar with, kind of a crowdfunding site kind of thing, except it's more of a subscription base. So I, I quite like it. I don't like Indiegogo and Kickstarter because I hate asking for money. It feels like charity. But because I have a little bit pivoted what I'm doing now, I'm not trying to raise money for each individual project I do. Um, and I 100% believe in the mission that I'm trying to do. I have, I, I have no problem asking people for money. And part of that is um, I quite enjoy funding other artists too, who seem to have a really cool mission and are doing neat stuff in artists too. I fund a lot of artists and people doing Psycom. And it's a great feeling to fund people doing that. Like the first time you're like, you know what? I'll give you $2. It like somehow you feel good. It takes a, an incentive sometimes to like get people there. So I, I offer sometimes incentives on mine, but I want people to feel good that they're helping with something that, might have a good payoff. I, I will say also though that I don't like encourage Patreon for Patreon for everyone because it can be, come with a lot of stress. Like if if you only have five patrons but you've promised a lot, yeah. then you're going to be doing a lot of work for ten dollars a month or whatever yeah. you're getting. You know, it can be stressful. But yeah, and it's one of those sites where when you go on there, they they push kind of the people who have podcasts, for instance, like this and. But they're they're earning like two million dollars a year for their podcast because they have hundreds of thousands of people putting that in. But of course, the it's the same as any of these things, these endeavors, right? You have to work and build up those people over time, right? To to be there, so it's almost a marketing gig in itself, you know, pushing it, yeah. the fact that you have matrix. Patreon. Yeah, and if you don't like that, like so, I so I work with Jonas um, on almost everything, but. Jonas comes from Sweden and Jonas hates the idea of asking for money. And I think it comes from this um, somewhat more socialist type country where it's expected that uh, individuals don't just open their wallet and pay for whatever. It's kind of more of the powers that be that, that take charge and do it. I don't know. Um, but, you know, in the U.S., you know, I grew up um, – uh, in, a, in a Christian back, background and we always were giving money to everything, you know? And so I think in you, that might uh, collectively be more American is this idea of like helping and giving. And, and um, I don't know, that's, I, I like it. I think the other thing I like about it is that um, I can interact with people on a slightly different level, uh, which is really handy. One of the things I didn't do early on that I regretted was not being able to uh, retain people that enjoyed my work, like retain contact with people that enjoyed the work I did. So we didn't have an email list. We didn't have um, any way of building a following and retaining people and interacting. So it's like we had a podcast, but you can't, you know, you don't really interact with people that just RSS feed download your stuff. Sure. We had 70,000 yeah. people uh, uh, per podcast downloading it. But those people are all gone. And now with Patreon, you're kind of like finding the people who are the most excited about your work and most wanting to help. And, yeah, you know, so to me, I don't see it as just like a funding platform. It's more of a community that we have that helps me mentally, too.
yeah no that's fantastic and the podcast as you say you you know unless you pay a a lot of money to get the data of where people are coming from and what they're doing that's all you ever see really you know when this podcast yes i mean we make this show you know i make this show and then you know put it out there and that's it it's out there to the world and you just get some figures are you getting a lot of like what's your your stats no you know you know we're still building it and and one of the biggest problems that i that i had was i started this late 2017 and then Mm -hmm. 2018 it went through and then we you know i got extremely busy and found it really hard to keep this up and one of the reasons a couple of the reasons one i was extremely busy filming uh dping and so i was off all over the place two a lot of the people like yourself we speak to a hard to nail down right to get an hour with to actually speak with them so you know speaking with people like you know any of the filmmakers who just might be gone for 10 months of the year and you're trying to nail them down on a two-day trip when they're back at home and so it got really hard and that's why we only put them out once a month not one you know because people why don't you put these out once a week well it's really hard to to get enough episodes to do that as well as working and earning a living you know the podcast brings in nothing so at the end of the day people don't realize that no it costs (laughs) money it's costing money to do the podcast yeah it is it's it's great what you're doing though it's it's kind of your educational outreach you know i i did the same thing we had a youtube we have a youtube channel called science filmmaking tips and tricks right (laughs) and people don't realize it brings in almost nothing we we i split it with jonas and we got lucky because a couple of videos took off, but it probably brings in 200 a month right. for us. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, so. which is good. I mean, if it's bringing in the, the nice thing is, is, I think once it starts like that and you see the potential and you see what works, I mean, that's the art of, of kind of the viral. And I don't like to say viral because, you know, viral videos are hard to make, right? Typically they just go viral for whatever reason. But uh, I know there's lots of different trains of thoughts on that, but but, you know, just knowing kind of that you have that potential to bring money in doing what you want to do and having control of it yourself, which is what you're all about. You know, I admire that so heavily because it takes grit. It takes stamina, determination, perseverance to do that because there's always going to be the highs and the lows, right? Yeah, yeah. But the unfortunate thing is when you do the math on even $200 a month, it's uh, like that's we were doing weekly videos so. oh, for that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, what happened is this last year, we kind of have been too busy. So we haven't put in the effort. So now it's trickling in still and we're taking that money. So we're now, I guess it's profit or yeah. whatever you consider it sure. um, like a bonus check or something. But at the time it was like, wow, I just spent four days on that film. And I think we averaged a hundred bucks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be at Taco Bell. Yeah. You know, well, and so the thing is, here's the way I think that, you know, we should highlight this or preface this really is that um, anything you do, you know, to to create anything of any value takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of, um, you know, peaks and drops in terms of things that work and things that don't. You know, I have started so many various, I won't won't call them businesses, but endeavors that have just Mm -hmm. failed way more than, you know, any of the things that have worked. Yeah. But I'm a, a I'm a machine that constantly thinks of I I have ideas popping. I annoy my mm. wife and kids all the time because I'm always coming up with the next best idea. Same. Right. <laughs> you and I need to chat more because my That's wife right. gives me a time limit on how much I can talk about uh, YouTube. Does she? <laughs> Five minutes a day. That's all I get. Really. That's not okay. Funny. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you my number, and then you, <laughs> once she's done with you, just you just pick up the phone. You can give me a call. Um. 
Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of trial and error. And again, it goes back to this whole thing of people seeing instant success. And, and that's just not a thing. You know, you have to no. go through these iterations of ideas for things to work and things not to. You know, with this, I started this. This is a very niche um, podcast. You know, oh, we're 100%. not looking for you know, the whole world to take stand up and take note of the master wildlife filmmaking podcast. This is for people who want to be in this industry. And there's really no other platform out there that speaks directly to a wildlife filmmaker where they can get resources. I mean, there's a few things, but where they can get like a blueprint. They're, well, of course, and that's why you're on here. So, but but it's but it's like you know hearing people's journeys, and especially someone like yourself. What I what I really like about your and let, let, let's let's move this on. What I really like about your stuff, uh, Rob, is the fact that I I was saying to you just before we came on air that I feel like I know you. We've never met at any of the festivals, and yet. I was, I felt like I was coming to, you know, this morning to jump on here to talk to a, a, an old friend, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way <laughs> because, because of the way you are on camera and seeing your videos throughout the years and your the social media and what have you, you're very real, right? Oh, you you yeah. are, you're just real, you're genuine. And when you're having issues, you tell the world about them. And when, you know, your even your bio uh, on Stone Age Man, stoneageman.com, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Even your bio video, at the end of it, there's this little piece where you're going up the Tetons, and you say, "Okay, <laughs> I'm going to head up the Tetons now." And then you say something like, "Well, of course, Stone Age Man wouldn't have done this." And then you're like, "Oh, hang on a minute, but that's not the point of the video." Well, that's the point. And then, <laughs> and then it's that moment of confusion, like I just said that wrong, but you left it in there, mm -hmm. and I like that because it's like that is the reality of say being on camera and mm -hmm. trying to produce and write and do camera work and be on camera at the same time. That's the reality. And what people don't see is the amount of times we go, we do a piece to camera, we do a piece to camera, we do it over and over and then we're pulling our hair out. That's why I have no hair. We pull our <laughs> hair out, right? To the point where we're just done with it. And we're like this, why am I doing this? You know, this should be easier. You know, I a hundred percent agree with you. Uh, and I, I, it's a conscious effort to include that in my production style. Um, I think, I think some people think, Oh, maybe you're just natural and that just comes out, but it's like a craft that I've definitely worked on since 2003, 2001, when I got my first camera, like I like, I like videos to be engaging and I find there's this balance between behind the scenes and beauty that is the most engaging to me. You know, I watch, Oh, look at that. Jonas is calling so we can talk oh, about have it. Like, there you go. You, know, <laughs> you could get him on here too and just hold No, but it's, um, you know, I, I tell you, I watched all the early Blue Planet stuff and Planet Earth. And quite frankly, I found it really boring. And it was winning all the festivals. But like, I couldn't watch but five minutes of it before I was like, okay, it's pretty. But I'm not engaged. I don't like enjoy watching it. It's, the, you know, it, to some degree, they, they, they've, sure. they've gotten better and better. Yeah. But I thought, how do, how do I make it so it's like more fun to watch? And I think mixing in that personality, um, and it's not just about me. I try to mix it in with every, every, every video I produce with experts. My main goal is to show their real personality. So we, I engineer, so to speak. I produce it so that I find moments that I can capture that and do it. So, and actually this is, this is an interesting thing. I, I really dislike filmmakers 
mentality if they scoff at GoPros, for instance. Right. Because yeah. I worked with GoPro actually for a year as an ambassador and they sent a bunch of GoPros and I started working with them. And one of the things they would do on shoots is they'd take 30 GoPros and plant them all around in various places and hit record and run it for two hours. And then whatever happened in those two hours, like you do something cool in those two hours <laughs> happened and they'd catch it. And, and it, those stories were so engaging to me, the, the GoPro videos, um, the, especially the ones GoPro produces um, that I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So it's nice to hear you say that. Um, it's not that I'm like that engaging of an, a person, I don't think. I just, I have consciously been thinking about finding moments like that because they, they make the films better. Well, but it's like having a conversation with you but 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 really it's you just talking to us but it's more conversational you're not yeah. hosting yeah. in a traditional i'm rob nelson and this is yeah. the tetons you know you're right. you're having it's like you're having a conversation and when when stuff goes a little wrong or awry that's fine that you're human um but yeah. also yeah. just you know you're holding a gopro or a vlogging camera vlogging kind of style and so you're very much you know filling the lens we're right there with you and it's very it, it's a different style you know it's um yeah. it's a style of its own there's so many um styles of wildlife filmmaking i mean there you say is, yeah. you know for you um you know the big blue chip stuff isn't your scene and and one of the things that they found and actually i was just speaking with doug allen in the last um episode and he's obviously done yeah. a lot of the camera work on, yeah, yeah, on the really big good. lens yeah. lens uh, mark series one of the things he was saying is that they you know the 10 minutes that got added on to the end of the behind the scenes was actually more of a mistake it's because they didn't have enough to fill the 60 minute slot for different networks and so they added that in and it became some of the most popular parts of that series and that's oh, yeah. because what happens is we start to get behind the camera see real people yeah. in real scenarios and i think there's so much to be said for that i mean there you know we've we've had everything from the kind of you know, crocodile hunter style, you know, of running out there and getting overly excited about wildlife to, you know, vlogging style to TV host, you know, very standard TV host stuff to landmark series and, and so much yeah. more in between. And so there's really something for everyone. And I think yeah. that that's what makes yeah. it so exciting. Um, that well, and, and I, I probably should throw out here at this point, Anybody who's thinking they want to come up with only a behind the scenes show, I can tell you it's not going to work. <laughs> right. You have to no, have I throw something. that out there because I pitched it. I pitched it <laughs> oh, many times and I've seen ones that have happened, but not really been all that successful. And somebody said, well, the reason is you need to have a good, you need to have a reason to watch the behind the scenes. Yes, exactly. There has to be <laughs> the like, show. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> So finding the balance yeah. is what I'm always trying to do. But yeah, that's why it works for Blue Planet because you're like, ooh, how did they get that? Yeah. Well, so so I think yeah. that the the style that has come out of that is the st the shows like the Kim Walliter and uh, Bob Paul where they're doing Man mm. versus uh, what was it Man Cheetah Wild and Man versus Cheetah, and okay. those are yeah. those style of shows where and both those guys have been on the podcast. Yeah. Um, they are cameramen out there doing their thing and they've got a camera on them so they're right. being filmed making a show but that is right. the show there's not more yeah. to it. they're incorporating their footage with the footage of them yeah no i i love the cameraman host model because it's the most authentic thing i yeah. think 
um, because who doesn't go out with a camera? I feel like most of the productions when I'm just the host, it's like, well, now what am I supposed to do? I don't have a camera in my hand. Right. <laughs> okay. I could, but like we're, our whole goal is to capture this thing yeah. and you want me to just not have a camera. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not have a camera. <laughs> so, I grab so it you, off camera and then get right, it. Right. And then, do, and it and then do the behind the scenes. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you hosted um, a couple of shows. Well, I, probably more than a couple. I've got down here. You did life life after Chernobyl for Animal Planet. Is that right? That was my first big one. Yes, that was your first big one. And Secrets of the Underground for the Science Channel. Yep, and that was two ser- That was two years of a series. So that was like sixteen shows. So and that, that was one good. was that a was lot my, of caving. My, my, my most popular one. Right. Was that a lot of caving going underground? Yeah. Caving? Well, see that. Well, this is kind of gets back to my you know, I'm not really sure it was my story because they wanted somebody to explore the secrets of the underground. So they really wanted a, like a geo geophysicist or somebody who right. knew underground mapping. And I mean, I can talk science, but that wasn't my thing. Sure. And so I, all I wanted to do was talk about the animals and now I'm like exploring caves and, and then, and then obviously being like, Oh my gosh, did I just discover that? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so how did how did those shows come about? I mean, were you just approached by the the a production company or a network saying, "Hey, we would love you to 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 host this show"? Um, yeah. So that's an interesting spiral that happened. I in 2014, I won a special jury award at the uh, Jackson uh, Wild that was in Boston. So the off year one. Yeah, and. And it was like the last big award it was right before the best yeah, of festival. Yeah. And I was like, wow. So I didn't, wasn't expecting it. I went down onto the, on and to accept my award and I hadn't prepared and I even had a cold. So I was just like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on? Thank you for giving me this award. I mean, I think it's because I don't fit into any other category and none of you <laughs> out there are into YouTube. So I got it. Thank you. Uh, but I was just, right. it was so like, oh, it's probably a, the weirdest acceptance speech. And literally the next day I got called up and they said my, cause I, I did have an agent. My agent's like, can you do Chernobyl in two weeks? They need a host oh, and you wow. look amazing. And it was, I was in front of all the execs at that thing. I'm sure they saw yeah, it. Yep. And, um, and so it was my pod, my, my YouTube that helped me get sure. in front of execs and I got that. And then it was two years before I had anything else. Um, because it took two years for them to release that Chernobyl doc. They wanted it on the 30 year anniversary in 2016. Yeah. As soon as that was released, it was it, apparently the best rated show on a Tuesday night for cable network. And the, it was a big deal. Wow. And then, and then science channel, like immediately was like, we want to host this guy looks great. Let's do it for a series. And so I was like, okay. Let's do it. Fantastic. So, so this is, and then everybody wanted me and I did, I did like a whole bunch of other shows too. I did a, a man, a man eating snake show. Um, and I did a bunch of talking head stuff where I was like expert, but yeah, sure. It was weird for two years. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. Right. (laughs) Nobody can tell me. I think they just, they, they went from people, they wanted people who were kind of scientists so they yeah. wanted celebrities. That was apparently what I heard. That yeah. 
You know, I mean, it's it's a changing world. It's always been like that. I, I mean, ever since I started in the early two around two thousand mm. two thousand and one, it, it, it's always just been. Tra- it's almost like yeah. it, it's a test. It's like a beta test, a beta test, right? It's almost right, like TV yeah. is a beta test, and what happens is, you know, it's just constantly testing out new things and never really settling. I mean, I think, you know, there's a few people who have been in the industry for decades. Um, right. and you know, they are the kind of, they're the stalwarts of the, of that, that genre. And it, it seems very hard. I mean, I think, you know, in, in years to come, we're going to see big changes. We're already seeing big changes because of the platforms that are out there. I mean, yourself being on YouTube and having websites mm-hmm. and really being in control of your own content, you know, um, Netflix, VODs, just having all of these platforms that really you can dictate to some degree where you want to be like something like Vimeo on demand, which you can put your own shows onto and be paid for them or uh, Amazon. Uh, I don't know where Amazon, Amazon's like that anymore. I certainly, it used to be a VOD right, where mm-hmm. you could do that. Um, so now, you know, things are changing. Networks are not going to be around as we know them today, probably in 10 years, it's going to be more of all of these on the go apps and everyone's changing towards that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's really it's really good. I, I, I it's interesting. You have that, that one. You have that one. I, I do. I do have that, and I actually meant to hold that one up. And I should just tell listeners. That <laughs> no, Rob no, just... I just thought it sitting here, and I yeah. totally interrupted no, you. Now, I'm... now I'm going. Hold on one second. So rude. So rude of no, me. No, no. I, I can't find it. I've got it here somewhere. I have that exact book. And okay. <laughs> now that one, that one though, you self-published, right? Because I remember you saying I self-published some... that one. Yeah. Okay, so you self-published that great book all about science and. Was it was it science and wildlife film? How to make science and nature films? Yeah, science it's and uh, that's films. why I understand the niche of your podcast because this yeah. is a niche book. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and that's For why sure. I got it. I, I remember getting that book a few years ago, and um, seeing what you were doing and and being you know following pretty much everything you've been doing since then. Because well, and I tell you the truth of this book is I wrote it in two thousand and eleven, but because I had a kid in two thousand eleven, didn't quite publish. It took me three years before I actually published it, or four years. It was 2015, 14 when I published it. Yeah. My wife and I have multiple books in the works, (laughs) like like most people on earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. But that brings us right onto this. Your right. new book, yes. which is just out as of a few weeks ago, um, and, and depending on when this goes out, this so this launched just the third week in November, last week in right. November? Yeah, right before uh, Black Friday. Right before Black Friday. I got Get my it. copy straight away. Mother Nature is not trying to kill you. I'm holding the book up for those of you who are not <laughs> looking at it. Nice orange cover with a tent yeah. in the forest on it. And, um, and so this is by yourself and your wife, Haley. So just tell us, and I'll lead you into this, because one of the things that, you know, just really, I was I actually read just a couple of days ago, and really had me on the edge of my seat is your lead in story to the whole thing, which I didn't know about you and your right. near death experience. And now right. I just have this indelible image of you naked hanging onto a boy <laughs> out at sea. <laughs> so, oh so can yeah. you explain that? Because otherwise, people are going to think that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give the abbreviated version. That people yeah, and actually, you don't want to give because the don't no, give the, don't whole, thing the whole thing away. No, no. Well, the gist is, I um, sank a sailboat a couple of miles offshore in Hawaii, and 
it, the reason I was naked is I was so unprepared because I was a kid and I didn't know how to sail a sailboat and I sailed into the storm of the decade and I had sweatpants on and a sweatshirt and we didn't even have life jackets. So when I got thrown overboard and then watched my boat get flipped upside down in a wave, um, you know, there's a lot of weight in sweatpants. So I stripped all my clothes off tight, tied. I did tie. <laughs> I did. I don't talk about this in the book, but I, my girlfriend's, ex-boyfriend's boxer shorts i tied around my, <laughs> my ankle so, so i yeah, that wasn't the, in the, the rescue no i, I kept it kid friendly uh but i yeah I, I grabbed the last buoy out to sea and i pretty much thought i was a goner I, I wasn't as worried about myself but i pretty much thought the person was that was with me was dead there was no way i figured oh, wow. they made it and so it it uh i i use it as the intro to my book because so many people after that told me, well, you know, like it was the ocean's fury when, you know, nature was out to get you. And I kept thinking and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I was just stupid. <laughs> you know, it was not, right. there was no um, ill intent from nature. Sure. It was just, yeah. it was just me. Yeah. So I started thinking about everything in that way. And, and I would always see these two sides. I would see, um, uh, the, like mo Hollywood say with sharks because I was a marine scientist that always portray sharks as like the villain and the sharks yeah. are out to get you mm -hmm. and biologists we were always pushing against it but we pushed back a little too hard in that some people especially activists would would be like no sharks are misunderstood they're just like little teddy bears and it's you're like right. well okay yeah. but you're gonna give people the wrong idea because mm -hmm. they're not <laughs> I can sure. tell you that and so I I created this book with my wife in part because um when i started writing it i realized she's a much better writer than me so it does come from my my perspective but um it's all her prose that really make it shine i see i was going to ask you how how you guys did that so so basically you wrote the the idea or the premise of the book and she edited it or rewrote it just in her well, it depends who you talk to. Okay. <laughs> if if you talk to me, I'm like, well, I wrote it and then she made it better. Okay. And, it, and if you talk to her, she'll say, well, you wrote it and then I completely changed it. Um, right. But, you know, it it was that we were at a stage where we were trying to decide, do we is it just my name or is it hers and mine? And um, I think that I wanted to make sure she had credit for how much time she spent helping me make it. So it's it's both Fantastic. of us, but a lot of them are my stories. So. Well, and, and you also do most of the art in here as well, right? I mean, yeah, I, I did know, about 50% of the art um, or maybe even a little less than that. So some of can, it's stock, yeah. right? Stock. Yeah, you can art. tell the stock stuff. Um, but I mean, like, the, 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 I mean, I can see actually when you stuff. get to things that's like, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Yeah. There was no stock image of how to use bear spray. Right. <laughs> so those See, kind of things I had to draw. And actually that though. took a long time. And I was trying to copy the style of the art that we were using. So right. it which was an etched vintage vintage etched look. It's hard to do. So yeah, which I mean it's beautiful. I it find fits it the book do. really really well. And you're you're a great artist as well as filmmaker. So you know, you your your skills come across in everything you do, which is which is fantastic. What I want you to do is just because it'd be better coming from you than me trying mm -hmm. to explain what the book is, but right. I I just want to very quickly flick to one piece that I was reading my kids the other day. My I, I've been oh. You know, my kids obviously know a lot about wildlife and have lots of interactions because of what I do. But we've been reading, you know, with fascination. And so one of their one of the funniest parts we've read so far, 
right, before you tell everyone what it's about. But one of the funniest bits so far was uh, in the Poison Ivy part of the back of the book. Oh. <laughs> and it's the bit right at the end of scenarios to avoid. And this had us all laughing. And it's don't skin a rabbit. And it's don't skin a rabbit that's been living in poison ivy and wear the pelt on your body without washing it thoroughly. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's fantastic. We were all in stitches because we're like, well, hopefully we're never in that situation. But I love that kind of, you know, it's humorous. But at the same time, you go on to say, let's just say I know someone who figured this out the hard way, way right? So it's a real scenario. It was a real scenario. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your book here, because I'm I'm holding the book up for for people who haven't mm -hmm. seen it, but we'll put a link to it on the web page. Tell us what the book is about. So the book is about it, it's it's a hybrid between a wildlife guide and kind of a realistic survival guide with wildlife. You know, so I I, I collect field guides. You can look at my wall. You can see some of them. All the all I read are field guides. But I like there to be stories with the animals. I don't just want to know how many centimeters their nose is from their eyes. And so right. I wrote a book that that I thought would maybe appeal to people who are interested in wildlife, but more from like a like a sexy, sexy standpoint. Like, what do you do with a shark attack? What do you do with a rhino attack? So we picked 30 animals and it's kind of like how to survive this animal. And they're not all the big predators. Some of them are poison ivy. Uh, some of them are the herbivores like rhinos and um, uh, we have hippos. You know, we, we tried to hit all of the big animals that will kill you. Yeah. You know, we missed some of them. But well, my yeah. point in all of this was if you understand the animals, and I talk about the biology up front on every chapter, then you'll understand better how to not get in the wrong situation. Yes. And that's, that's what I find really appealing about the book, because it's not just a book about scenarios of, you know, do's and don'ts, but understanding behavior. And, and you know, with wildlife filmmaking, as, as wildlife filmmakers, it, it's all about understanding behavior. Because if you don't understand a species behavior that you're trying to film, you're never going to capture the behavior you're after. Right. You have to have yeah. a pretty good understanding um, so that you're not out there for a decade trying to get one thing. Um, and that's what I really like about it. And I just recommended it. I have a mentoring group um, and I just recommended the book for that reason, that it's not just telling you, you know, d avoid standing in front of a, a black bear and her cubs. It's telling you, you know, why, why they act the way they do. And that's that's super important. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's I just found it so fascinating that um, if you ask people, what do you do in a certain situation, like, say, a black bear, do you play dead? Do you run down a hill? Do you run up a hill? Do you climb a tree? Like, what do you know? And most people actually get it wrong. They don't know. Right. And yeah, so it's useful to just kind of like talk through it and i think it's fun enough to read so thank you i appreciate you yeah well no and including your stories and the fact that as you say in there that you know the all of these stories come from either yourself or people you know you know in this industry we've all had i'm sure all of us have had close shaves with wildlife i've certainly had many and not through necessarily stupidity but just trying to get things and do things that you know require you to do it to get certain shots and um 
certainly by no way am I saying, oh, you do whatever it takes to get a shot. You know, I, I actually recently had an advert up that said, um, whatever it takes to get the shot. And it's a picture of me with a broken leg. I had a broke, I'd broken my leg just four weeks earlier. And I was filming a documentary, Reconnecting Wild, that was out doing the festival circuit this year. And it was... Um, a shot I had to get this migration of the, the mule deer coming over the overpasses in northern Nevada and four weeks earlier I broke my leg by being hit by an elk uh, a different filming trip and I was in extreme pain but knew that I had a two-week window in which to get this filming this footage so I went out with my wife on my crutches popping opioids as I went up a mountainside <laughs> In the, you know, freezing cold, put down a mattress and I sat there with my three cameras filming for 13 hours that day. And it was, you know, one of those scenarios where I, I, so I put the ad up and it said, whatever it takes, meaning whatever it takes in terms of here I am four weeks with a broken leg and I'm out there in pain, but I'm still doing my job because that's what I love to do whatever it takes i got a lot of ridicule ridicule for it because people miss thought miss thought or thought that i was saying whatever it takes you know do whatever you have to do with the wildlife to get the shot and of course that's not what i'm saying at all so uh you know it's not about harassing wildlife or anything like that but no, no, um, no but fantastic no. book um we'll put a link to it tell us just very quickly because um i, I want to make sure that when we put this out we've got all of the links for you on our webpage so that everyone can find all of your different sites so tell us oh, where okay. people can find you so you've got untamedscience.com yeah untamedscience.com is basically my film production company and then uh, a lot of my outreach now is through stoneageman.com which I, I love the kind of more bushcraft connection with nature and then um, on youtube you can find our stuff at stoneageman which is one word and science filmmaking tips um, and then um, we, we also have Patreon, so patreon.com slash untamed science, which is, you know, if people want to support some of the outreach that I'm doing and connect in a way that I can send them postcards and books and stuff like that, that's very handy too. So Fantastic. And I just saw recently you're doing the, um, and I'll, I'll get this wrong, but you, you're doing some coloring, some drawings that are like coloring sheets you're giving away to your patrons, which are, or your patrons, which are um, of the oh, kelp yeah. forest, was it? Or the. Uh, well, yeah, biome? so I do. Uh, yeah. Go, go, yeah, sorry, every go Monday ahead. I do a drawing. Yeah. Yeah, every Monday I do a drawing for Instagram. And uh, I've been doing that for a year and I've been doing them on postcards and then sending them to patrons. And now I'm turning them into a coloring book of world biomes so i'm just sending patrons the link to the coloring book image if they want to download it i don't i can't imagine most people would but um i try i'm trying to make the drawings turn into something now a lot of those drawings before turned into the book which i didn't tell anybody because i wanted the book to be a surprise so i yeah i have like little postcards here like this is one of the postcards you know from mosquitoes uh, awesome yeah, they're, yeah. they're fun you know yeah but anyway fantastic and there is i should add i did actually have that one mark because mozzies are close to my heart i made a national oh. Ge geographic special <laughs> called mosquito hell years ago and so I, I i tagged that one because i also remember this scenario from and I'm, I'm oh yeah just tell the that listeners. was that i drew that from a screenshot so that's like i wondered I just that traced over the screenshot so we're looking but at i a didn't picture. realize how little my my how high my receding hairline is <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> there you go. So we're looking at a picture of uh, Rob. He, he's drawn himself with his arm in a, a, a cage or a, a container with netting full of around 2,000 mosquitoes. And he's allowing them all to bite him. Now, I did this back in. I figured you would have. Well, Everybody I did it. Who does bugs should. Yeah. Should. So I did it in 2005, but I did it with one. <laughs> one. <laughs> one. Are you kidding? Me? Yeah, in a free fly one chamber. Cage? One. No, no, no. One. One uh, mosquito. One mosquito. Yeah. And it was just so we could That's get some even, very. Why, why were you even in a chamber? I know. Have a I, I feel I feel pathetic saying it now <laughs> to the man who who had two thousand on him. And I think Jonas put. Or was it you? Put your back against. Oh no, page. Jonas did his back. Jonas did his back because I was trying to find an excuse for Jonas to take off his shirt because it was uh, for <laughs> it was going to be the thumbnail of the video. <laughs> okay, right, right. Because he's he's, he's pretty ripped. ripped, right, dude. So yeah, yeah I, I did it at the uh, <laughs> London School of Tropical Medicine, and I we had one in a free fly test chamber, and it was so that we could get very close up uh, time lapse of the the, the mosquito oh. filling with blood. Um, oh, but cool. it was it was a good fifteen sixteen years ago, maybe even longer than two thousand three, I think it was. So yeah, seventeen years ago. Yeah, mosquitoes, by the way, are the number one ever. You know this, but the number one killer. So uh, I had to include them in the book as like yes. something that would kill you and then, but of course it's not them it's just the diseases sure yeah, absolutely well one. so one of the things i was surprised not to see in there but then i did read in the back and that was mountain lion oh my and, god and that's only... my big glad you pointed that out okay yes i got to the end i'm just before you say the thing don't i know yeah i got to the end and my publisher's like we need to publish now and i said i don't have a chapter on big cats i need another two weeks and they're like look you can put it in version two I was like, oh, someone's going to point out that I don't have any big cats in here. And they're like, just right at the end that you're going to add them later. So, yeah, and that was perfect yes, because I did see out. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. No, no, no. So I did see that. And the only reason I say that is my wife is a mountain lion biologist. She, oh, she, my God. So really? that was, yeah, that was oh. where. So I, specifically, I was looking for that. We we, uh, we conducted yeah. her field research for five years and, and captured and collared over, well, 70, 72 lions but we did 50 adults with GPS wow. satellite we, we, we need to chat more because, uh, yeah, we should. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that'd be cool. We did a lot with that. So we were looking for that, but there is that piece in the back, and it does say other animals. And I it feel does say that's big cats. the thing I feel worst about is because it was it, cats is like such a big topic. Yeah. You can't just do a quick skim. No. No, you know, every can't. cat's different. And, uh... and, and what I like about it, I mean, certainly sitting with the kids, right? When I sit with my two boys, they, we, you know, we're big readers, right? I mean, they, mm. we read, read, we, we right. don't have a TV in the house. We are readers and that's how it works. So they love it. But what I find so nice is that there are four or five pages at a time. And for, for each animal, to some of them, some of them are longer. Yeah, short. But yeah. it's it's nice because you can get the bite-sized chunk of information that's really, really important. And then, you know, you're on to the next species. And you're right, you know, cats are, are hard to do like that. There's going to be a lot of information. So you could almost well, do one Well, I think I would cats. have had to do like one on tigers, one on lions, one on yeah. cougars. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah. um, and that it just became overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to go through. So the so tell us very four hundred pa or three hundred eighty pages. Absolutely, so. yeah. No, it's yeah. a big book. I was actually surprised when it turned up how big it was. You is um are you being beckoned? Uh no, we're we're filming loofahs and he needs a battery. If ah, you can see him over on the shelf over there. That's right. I, I see. I like this. 
It's nice when the, the show is interrupted. This is our one day. It's our one right. day to shoot, and we're just like shooting. Okay, well, we can, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. But one, <laughs> what I would like to do is very quickly just find out about the book because what, how did yeah. you get to? Because this is a published book. A publisher yep. approached you, I believe. Just tell us a little oh, bit about I, that. How did um, you get to? Yeah. So I have, you know, there's two ways. This is self-published. I just wrote it and then um, dropped it into InDesign and published it on Amazon. That was the first book. But this one, first, I don't know why. I think it was because I had an Instagram following and the analytics said this guy might be useful to write a book. I don't know. They approached me and they said, our algorithm says you might be a good author. They had just published uh, Coyote Peterson's book uh -huh. uh, previously. I don't think he recommended me because I, I don't think he knows who I am. But um so I said, yeah, that sounds good. And they made it real clear up front that books don't really make money. So you need to do this as a passion project. And I said, Ooh, uh, let me think about it. Yeah. And it yeah. took, it took a few months. I went back and forth with ideas of something I really wanted to do. And originally it was supposed to be just a bushcraft book, like uh, how to survive 52 situations. And then when it came to writing it, I was like, I just like animals. I don't want to write about how to survive earthquakes and nuclear fallout and stuff. So I a little bit twisted it into what it is now. And um, apparently, because what they do is they, they'll take your idea and they'll create a cover and then they'll try to sell it. And apparently a lot of people were interested in it. So they were like, go write it now. And we gave ourselves a deadline. So I started writing December and I finished July 1st. Um, and it wasn't like, like I was putting out videos in between, but it was a lot of that time was writing and I will never make the money from the time I spent on it. I don't think, sure. yeah. but it's from my perspective, I, I have stoneageman.com and I have all the, I have all the, the articles on there from the book. So if you ever like, where's the, I want that article, it's on, on a website, Fantastic. I'm going to be making videos on every one. So I did the research already. So in a like a lot of the things I do, I'm using it in a multi as a multi tool. Yeah, it's not just the book. Like maybe somebody will find me from the book, but maybe we'll have it have a bigger life in the future. Well, Rob, you know I love what you're doing in terms of taking all of these different platforms and bringing them together and making them work for what you want. And we're so similar in in many ways because. That's what we try and do with our life, right? We, we, we try and orchestrate the things we do to fit in with who we are, the mm. passions we have, mm. and where we want to be and where we want to go with them. And I, I find that, you know, it, it's a really nice to speak to someone else who's doing it very similar through the mm. highs and the lows of it, because it mm. is difficult. One mm. last thing, and that is a piece of advice. If, mm. if you're, you know, you're speaking to people like yourself out there right now who are looking either to get into this, they're, they're either aspiring to do this or they're already in it and they're struggling or they're already in it and they're just looking for new avenues what kind of advice would you have for someone you know let's let's just say really starting out in this industry what what's the one most important piece of advice you have for them um okay well if it's starting out uh i i hold by if you're not even in it yet grab a camera, start telling stories. But I feel like maybe that's what everybody says. Um, I think if you're starting out into the industry, maybe my one advice is to work really hard on, on your reputation. In other words, it is a small community and everybody's going to talk to each other. And, you know, they don't, you don't want to get down the line and people be like, Jake, he's a jerk. 
you know, like you want people to be like, yeah, Rob's cool. And I like working with him because people want to work with people that are fun to work with. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I, I think that's, that's useful. Uh, the other thing, maybe I could just kind of say, cause that's how, how you can work on your reputation <laughs> um, is that um, a lot of people don't really know what they like doing. I find early on. And I get a lot of people who seem to say, this is what I want to do, but they don't know what it takes. So you've got to practice telling stories and learn what you like to do. I learned because of practice for years that I like the whole process. I like, I like the package and I like to split my time. But some people just like being a host. And I would say, don't even worry about being the camera guy. Just work on your hosting thing. Or if you just like doing camera, don't worry about the editing. If you hate being in a computer so i know a lot of people like that but they suffer through it but there's avenues to diversify into the one thing you like but you've got to figure out what that is and then you can find the people who are doing it and ask them how they got into it for me it's the whole package it's youtube it's the websites it's everything but i think that's great advice because it's so true there are so many avenues and um and taking it all on like you have is stressful i mean it is extremely stressful because there's so yeah. many so many uh, elements to think about every day every minute of every day and uh, oh yeah i would never with... recommend anybody to do what i'm doing <laughs> like, i'd be like in 12 years it may pay off for you so start writing a bunch of free stuff online and ask people for a dollar or two at a time and then do a bunch of work that doesn't pay off and write a book for free <laughs> no it was not right i stumbled upon something that's maybe working we'll see oh well rob hey <laughs> It's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on the show yes, and to I share have. your stories, man. Um, thank you so much for taking the time I hope time we out. cross paths. Bring that van of yours down here. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Absolutely. I will Get do. The kids together. <laughs> I will do. That's fantastic. All right. Take care. Thank you again. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series' future episodes. You can find out more information about wildlife filming at jakewillers.com. And if you're interested in starting a career in the wildlife filmmaking industry or being mentored to further your career, then please visit jakewillers.com forward slash mentorship. Thanks for listening.